Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and as always, we are sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. And for those of you who are on YouTube uh, watching this, you can see that I've got the big turkey hat on. Uh, they were giving these away uh, for those of us who made it through qualifiers. So I got a few hats, uh, but I just thought they were really cool, and I thought I might as well give them a shout-out on air. Uh, they've got a big uh, cold hard cash tournament coming up here December 19th through the 23rd. Uh, a lot of qualifiers and a lot of uh, first day, six day one. So check that out at runaces.com. Uh, thanks to them for their sponsorship. Now the hope with uh, Rec Poker is that we are trying to build a community of recreational players who are building relationships and building improvement to their game. And uh, I'm just excited that you are along for the ride and being part of Rec Poker Nation. So feel free to go to recpokertraining.com and check out everything that we have going on. A quick shout out, Brian Swedeen and Brian Mori, who are our newer uh, Patreon subscribers. Thanks to you guys. And that is one of the most encouraging things that uh, that you can do to help us out uh, is support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you say, hey, man, thank you for what you are offering. Uh, I hope you can continue to do more and more of that. And the more people we get, obviously, the more things that we can do and the more of the content that we can do for free. Uh, I don't love having to charge for the content, but uh, we got to pay the bills uh, as well. But the more we can get uh, support on Patreon, the more we can provide uh, free of charge. So thanks for you guys. Today, uh, we're going to jump right in here. Uh, I'm actually going to do a clip of about 20 minutes from the Thursday, November 29th player panel that we did. We had uh, an online webinar. Uh, it was interactive, so people could ask questions uh, of Max Havlish, Matt Hamilton, Ian Matakis, and Alan Carty, who are four of the uh, top Minnesota recreational players. They're actually four of about the top 100 uh, in Minnesota's uh, history in terms of earnings, uh, according to the Hendon Mob. So a great, uh, fascinating conversation. So I thought, well, I'll play 20 minutes of that, give you guys a flavor. Uh, if you're interested in the whole thing, uh, you can go to recpokertraining.com and you can buy the whole two-hour video for, I believe, $10 uh, if that's something of interest, but I wanted to give you guys at least a taste of it, and I thought it was such a good conversation that I thought uh, it'd be great for uh, all of Rec Poker Nation to hear at least part of. So uh, that is what I'm doing uh, today, and then we'll come back, do a few announcements, and close it off. So enjoy uh, this section with Alan and Matt and Ian uh, and Max. Uh, basically, you know, what would you say are your strengths and your style? Okay. And then how, how would you perceive that? How, how do you think that other people perceive you, uh, you know, when you sit down at a table? Yeah. I like to think that I'm patient and I think everybody thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So that's yeah. a very exploitable situation then. It is. It is definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I just, um, I think definitely that my number, number one trait is uh, being patient and, um, and then also using my image. But I mean, the thing is, is that I can definitely be aggressive and people see me opening pots a lot, but I mean, I don't know. It just depends on who's at the table. I mean, you know what I mean? If I see you guys at the table, I'm probably going to be a lot more patient. <laughs> well, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about that. We'll just kind of go back and forth. So, I mean, okay. You say, you know, a lot of people see me opening a lot of pots yet. I consider patience my strength. Talk a little bit about that to the recreational player, because that seems like a, a very disconnected sort of truths. Well, yeah. I mean, you'll see me. I mean, it, it all depends. It's also my hands too. I'm not just opening junk all the time, even though I'm capable of it. Um, but a lot of times you'll see me not play a hand for two hours. And then you'll see me play every hand for two hours. And it, I mean, a lot of times it's just where it is, what uh, part of the tournament's at. Um, I like to be patient typically at the beginning of the tournament. 
um, when there's less antis to be, even though uh, there's a lot of reason to be kind of aggressive in that spot as well. Cause you, you know, Matt and I were talking about this maybe a week ago or so, but, and he actually disagrees with me, I think. Is that right, Matt? I mean, it kind of has to do with a little bit. I'll, I'll confirm or deny. Well, Matt, uh, kind of jumping subjects, I guess, but we were talking about joining, uh, entering tournaments from the get-go or um, specifically like running aces double stack. We'll just oh, use that true. tournament. But uh, joining it from the start of the tournament versus coming in an hour later. Um, which, which one's the better play? And it depends. I mean, I was saying that I, I like to be that at the get-go because you can put in chips, you know, the minimum risk for maximum roar. You can essentially get all the value you need without having to put too many chips in, you know what I mean? Get nutted and make it pay you off. Um, that's the value of being early. And I think you kind of miss a lot of those spots when you're late regging. Matt, did you have a comment at all? You're, you're muted there if you're trying to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I recall the conversation quite well. Um, but um, yeah, I think my counterpoint to entering early was I think a couple of main things, one being just like mental preservation. Um, I think specifically we were talking about the, <clears throat> the $500 tournament at aces. That was a few weeks ago now, I suppose. Um, but like you start out the first blind level is like 2550 and you start out with like 25,000 chips or something. So 500 big blind starting stack with 40 minute levels. And it's like, <clears throat> well, if you're going to invest, if you're going to, invest your mental energy into the tournament and you think you might you know only have a certain capacity to do so then it, it would be better uh from my perspective to skip the first level or two preserve that mental focus and um enter the tournament a little bit later um where the pots are more significant the decisions are uh you know more important um, but ultimately I think that's the main counter, you know, counterpoint and also like entering early in, in tournaments, which is basically every tournament we play with that, that allow for re-entries, um, entering early benefits a player who, who's, who has the capacity to fire, you know, two or three bullets where, you know, if they get involved in a big pot early on and they bust, you know, they can just re-enter where if you're, if you're just firing one bullet, um, it, it feels really bad to, to, to bust early and, and have to go home, you know? So I, I think, but, but I think the biggest counterpoint is just the, the mental energy aspect and the endurance aspect of it, which yeah. is a very real thing in, in deep stack tournament poker. Kind of got off subject a little bit there, I guess. I, I brought that in a different direction from how we play, <laughs> playing right. hands and still being no. considered patient. But again, yeah, I don't know. It also depends on what tournament you're playing as well. Um, I don't know, Ian, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I was going to piggyback off that. I would say uh, I agree. I also like to open a lot of hands, but then uh, but then post-flop, after after the flop, I'm definitely more patient and, and – uh, kind of pick my spots post-flop but yeah I definitely like to get in there a lot uh pre-flop with a wide range of hands uh like Max said depending who's at my table uh if I have two aggressive players on my left I'm generally gonna tighten it up but if I have 
three guys who are playing, you know, just some of the better hands on my left, then I'm really going to open it up and, and look to take some of those spots. Alan, how about you? What, where do you fit into this mix? No, I'm kind of like Max said, I think that uh, the way I view myself and the way others view me are very different. Uh, I think that I'm a, I think I'm a very, very patient player that I, uh, you know, I'm always uh, thinking about my, uh, my hand, my starting hand ranges based on my position and then based on who's at the table and who's going to be following me, you know, and so on post-flop and pre-flop. And uh, so it depends on the mix at the table uh, I played most, one of the most recent tournaments I played was that uh, uh, Optimum at Running Aces a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I, I found out very, very quickly that the people at my table were just folding like all the time. And so I'm sure I walked away from that, uh, from that group and they were all probably thinking that I was a maniac just because I was, I just decided to get involved in a lot of hands and to bet and, and, uh, and just get people to fold. But, you know, like if I go sit down at a table, uh, you know, where it's a good tournament, $1,100 tournament or greater, and I see that there's some really good players at the table, uh, I definitely am going to play very uh, tight and uh, not get out of line at all. Okay. And it's interesting to me, uh, you know, maybe something piggybacking what Ian had said there too about um, being patient post-flop versus being patient pre-flop. And I'd like a little bit more, uh, rigor on that if I heard that correctly so it sounds like you're saying I want to enter a lot of pots and I assume presumably because um, you know I could connect in a big way and early in tournaments people make big mistakes and overvaluing hands and that sort of thing so being paid uh, sort of playing a lot of pots yet being patient post-flop does that mean just getting in the mix a lot and then just being willing to fold almost always is that what you mean by that or can you You're elaborate not necessarily willing to fold but um uh you know, let's say you make like a, a top pair with Queen Jack. Uh, generally, some players will keep betting that. And as where I'm going to pot control it early on, I'm going to find a check somewhere in the hand. Uh, and I think uh, part of being patient post-flop is just being very selective with the hands you're betting and uh, continuing with to raises and things. So, yeah, I guess that's what I would say is what that kind of means, being patient post-flop. Okay, so it's, it's a pot control sort of volatility control mechanism where, uh, you know, you can control volatility, I see a number of different ways, one of which is being more selective in your hands. You're saying, you know, your method early in a tournament is maybe more just uh, more checkbacks, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ian knows how textures work as well, and that's important too, and that kind of goes with it. It's like he knows what, when he should be checking back and when he should be pot controlling and when he has top pair, third kicker, compared to... Um, you know, just any other kind of texture, say there's, he knows that there's a lot more draws. Let's say it's a, it's a two flush board with a three straight out there. He might end up double barreling and know he's going to get two streets of value from those draws. Um, in retrospect to a, a bunch of different scenarios where he just doesn't want, um, I mean, he, there's, I don't know, I guess there's a, so many different combinations the way it could play out, but yeah, just knowing the board texture is kind of where you go from there. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. We'll just kind of go wherever this conversation goes. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I know, you know, I've struggled with and tried to work on in my game. And I think a lot of recreational players, you know, you guys are recs too, but you know, a lot more experienced than a lot of us that are out here trying to figure this game out. Uh, so board textures, um, you know, is it just, you know, is it just one of those things where it's just immediately obvious to you whose range this is better for, um, you know, is that sort of the issue? Is it making the decision if I see better or not? Uh, 
or is it also either kind of and or also determining your bet sizing based on board texture? Uh, you know, how much of that is is just becoming second nature to you? How do you get to the point where you feel more comfortable with seeing you see a flop and you just kind of know this is good for me, bad for me, uh, polarizing bet sizing versus a small bet? You know what? How do you get to that point where it just becomes second nature? Or how did you guys get there? Matt, maybe, uh, Matt, I'll, I'll ask you to kind of chime in first. Yeah, so I would say the most important um, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to use my words here, but um, find my words rather. It's important to know when you're getting into post-flop scenarios what you feel like your your hand range is your perceived hand range and your opponent's hand range like for example if you open you know let's say button and big blind defends you should immediately kind of be thinking in your head okay what what range of hands is this particular opponent going to be calling with and what hands can I kind of like take out of his range because he'd be three betting that pre-flop, you know, what hands is he going to be folding pre-flop? And this, you know, this comes from observing your opponents at the table. You know, what do we, what do we see our opponents showing down with in other scenarios? I think it's incredibly important to be, you know, the majority of your, your energy and focus should be, um, apologies for the little interjections from the little one. Um, oh, good. I think the majority of your focus in a poker tournament should be spent when you're not playing a hand. So you're, you know, you're focusing on what your opponents are doing, what, you know, what are they capable of? What, what hands are they uh, calling with preflop raising with, with preflop. And, and, you know, the reason you're doing this is you're kind of constructing ranges in your head so that when you enter a pot and a scenario with that particular opponent, you have a general idea of the hands, you know, that you think he or she has at this time. You, you could be way off, but I think that's one of the most, you know, that's probably, if I were to say, the most important thing um, to, to playing post-flop and to kind of navigating those scenarios is paying attention to your opponents when you're, when you're not in hands so you can, you know, structure, you know, ranges and kind of get a feel for what our opponents are capable of. It's, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not like a magic formula. You're going to be, you're going to be right. Sometimes you're going to be wrong sometimes, but it's about kind of like logically structurally forming a, a good strategy and, and a good, like, uh, you know, mind for, for the game. And, and that just comes with a lot of focus and a lot of energy spent, you know, not, not on your cell phone between hands and, and focusing on the action taking place at the table. Um, Cause there's a lot, there's going to be a lot that you miss if you, if you just kind of like are, are absent minded between hands and all of a sudden you get yourself in a scenario and you have no clue what's going on. I think a lot of people play that way. And um, so, so yeah, I, I would say, going back to the original question about navigating those scenarios and, you know, whether it just comes over time or whatever, I think it comes, comes with discipline, comes with focus, comes with paying attention and, and always kind of building in your mind strategies to play against these particular opponents. 
Okay, that's good. And so I'm curious, kind of a follow up to that. You know, Alan, I guess when when Matt says, you know, we're, we want to hand range our opponents immediately right away, and I think obviously all of you guys are are well versed in that. How, how what does that look like for you guys? And maybe Alan, you could go first. Yeah, I, I just like, wanted to, wanted to say as far yeah. as like when do you um, you know start getting into that frame of mind? Uh, for me, it came after my first, you know, like six months or so of getting training, uh, from a very good player. I just noticed that, you know, a, a very, and, and in the training that I was getting from this good player, Brian LaPlante, uh, it started out as, you know, just a little, you know, theory type stuff. And then, then we started doing a lot of, uh, hand analysis from, uh, poker tournaments that I would play in. Right. So I would play online and say, you know, he would go through the entire tournament and sometimes, you know, these would be, you know, five or six, seven hour tournaments that we could just zip through in like an hour, you know, 45 minutes or so during our session. And it just became very obvious to me that a, a common theme when he would be questioning my moves or my plays would be, you know, well, this, you know, this board is definitely hitting your opponent's, you know, hand ranges much more often than it hits yours. And so therefore, you know, you can't bluff in this spot or you should not lead out and bet in this spot, you know, and so on. And so, you know, now that I've been getting training for like, you know, three and a half years, uh, to me, I actually act a lot more based on the board texture and the, and my, what I perceive my range of hands should be and what I perceive my opponent's ranges to be. And I think because of that, I'm taking down a lot more pots because I'm betting in spots where old Alan would have just looked at my hand, looked at the board and just said, I can't bet here. But new Alan says, I, I'm supposed to bet here, you know? Is, is new Alan three-armed Alan? Is that the uh, Not anymore. I got rid of the arm. It was too hot, too no, hot. That, wearing it. No, that, but, that's really good. I'm just kind of curious, like, how does that, how does that actually structurally practically work? So, you know, let's say, you know, somebody, you know, you bet and you get called by the button and then one of the blinds, like Matt said, are you guys thinking, okay, I'm putting them on, you know, uh, two Broadway cards, suited aces, suited king. I mean, are you thinking like that? Or do you just have this sort of innate sense they're defending with the top 20% hand? I mean, how do you practically think about that? So when the flop comes out, you can say, ooh, that's good for their hand or bad for their hand. Like, I think, you know, I get the concept of it, but I think many of us struggle with how does that practically work in this in this complex game where we're supposed to be thinking about and remembering a million different things, what are we, what are you actually thinking about when somebody calls behind you? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I can, one thing I can just say is that like, for example, just as an easy example to understand this concept, let's say that, that I raise in, in middle position and it folds around to the big blind who calls and the flop comes uh, ACE two, three rainbow. Um, that's a flop that I'm going to see bet a hundred percent of the time because my opponent has very few aces in his range and his calling range doesn't have a lot of two and three combinations either. So there's no reason that I should ever check that flop. And there's a lot of, you know, that you can broaden that out and talk all day long about the different ranges that are going to hit a earlier middle position pre-flop razor uh, versus, you know, just somebody that's either calling from, you know, the button or small blind or big blind. Can I add something on that real quick? Yeah. 
So I just kind of want to say it goes with what Matt was saying earlier too. And it's like, when you say, when people call behind you, how do you get that thought of what's their range? What, what am I supposed to think here? I think most of that information you're going to gather and get, you're going to know the most if you go with what Matt said and stay off your cell phone in between other hands, pay attention to how those players uh, show down with other hands against other players where you weren't involved. That there's, the most wealthy information is definitely in those areas, not when you're just playing a hand against them. So when you're watching all that stuff and it comes to that point, you're like, well, the board, this board hits their range because you've seen what they've been playing in that position previously. That's where you need to find that information. So, so how do you, like, how do you store that information? And Ian, maybe you can talk a little bit about this. So let's say I'm observing, I'm watching, I noticed, Oh, they defended with queen 10. Oh, they, you know, limped with pocket threes. I mean, all of that sort of stuff. Are you guys just able to retain this wealth of information? And so when the time comes, you pull it back up and say, what else have they done in that situation? Or are you going through some sort of a, a labeling process where you see somebody def- defend with queen 10, so you sort of put them in a category. So you just kind of know what category they're in. And then you know, generally what types of hands those category people use. Like, how are you actually processing that information? Yeah, uh, I'd say it's it's almost a little easier online when I play because you can actually actually make a note on specific players. But um, for example, let's say uh, a few hands ago somebody opens and the player in the big blind calls, and then they get to the showdown and they have like seven three offsuit. Uh, the player in the big blind, uh, I'm immediately gonna note that they're defending their big blind wider, and then when I open. Uh, and get to a flop with them, I'm probably going to use that information to just bet more, bet more often on flops because they have a wider range of hands that aren't going to hit some of the better cards. Um, But yeah, I think in in general, uh, I have like a perceived what my range would be in certain people's spots. But then I would agree with uh, Mad Max that it's also super important to be watching these players rather than doing whatever else you may want to be doing at the poker table. Uh, so I would say that's kind of how I would construct my uh, thoughts on other players. It's just kind of, yeah, watching what they're doing and making notes. Like some players will limp their lower pocket pairs and stuff, and that's good to note. Um so maybe they limp pre-flop and then they're being super aggressive when it's like four, seven, ace, you can maybe give them a set. Whereas other players, you can't just automatically give a set to. Okay. So okay. just a few examples, I guess. No, that's good. That's good. I think that's part of our, our struggle is, you know, we hear all of these things, you know, that we're supposed to do. And it feels like for a lot of you guys, you know, it's just, it's second nature. So it's okay. How do we, there, there's gotta be some process to get from not paying attention to it at all to getting it to be second nature. So that's where it's helpful to kind of think about your process. Okay. Once again, thank you to Matt Hamilton and Max Havlish and Alan Cardi and Ian Matakis for being part of that player panel Thursday night. I thought it was a great time and we'll be doing more and more of those. Uh, we learned a few things as far as uh, maybe we do a few, uh, you know, a little bit fewer panelists so we can hear more uh, depth from each of them. And maybe we Uh, going forward, pick a specific topic uh, that we can focus on for the evening. So uh, we'll make some tweaks, but uh, generally I thought it was really good. And thanks to everybody who supported that. Uh, And that is available online for purchase at recpokertraining.com. Also, just a quick uh, heads up, we have those play and learn sessions coming up December 16th. We're starting to sell more and more of those. Uh, Those are phenomenal uh, ways to learn the game and to build community where you play, flip over your cards, and then we talk about 
the decisions that you made and maybe some things that could have been done differently. So uh, it, it's a fantastic way to learn the game and build community. Uh, and also, I mentioned before, I'm looking to build some online uh, webinar uh, conference called uh, Discussion Groups. Uh, so you don't need to be located in Minnesota, but uh, I know a lot of people have said, I want to build a community of people that I'm learning the game with together. And that's what I'm talking about here, getting getting a few people together to talk poker on a weekly or bi-weekly or a monthly basis, uh, have some topics or have some study material that we go through, whatever it looks like for that group. Um, uh, I want to start building those out and providing that service as a way to help you build community and build your your rec poker tribe, I guess, if you will. So uh, with that, just a final thank yous to all of you who are listening, who have been supporting all this time. Uh, thank you to Running Aces for the sponsorship, to uh, those of you who are supporting on Patreon. Again, Brian Swedeen and Brian Morey, thank you for adding uh, your names to the list of contributors. Uh, if you're on an iTunes, man, please go out there, like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. If you want rec poker patches, let me know. I'll send you some, no charge. If you want hats, shirts, sweatshirts, uh, go to floptheworld.com slash rec poker. Uh, and as always, uh, the lifeblood of what we do is your feedback. So please let me know uh, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see some more of. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, email steve at recpokertraining.com. And uh, we'll go from there. So hopefully uh, you enjoyed that sn- that snippet from the uh, player panel. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. If that's something you'd like to see more of or uh, something done differently, let me know on that. So with that, adios, and we will chat next week. Take care.